Welcome to episode 331 of We Don't Die. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. A couple quick things before we start the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you for your patience. As you know, the month of January 2020, we haven't recorded and aired any episodes, but I am alive and well. My mom and I own a catering business and we work with race car teams. So we spent most of the month of January at the Daytona International Speedway cooking for a thousand people. So it's quite a bit, a lot of work, but I'm happy to say I'm home and uh, yeah, I've got a little bit of time off. So we've got more great episodes for you. We're starting a new thing. Uh, if you're familiar with the great mediums, Carrie McLeod and Philip Dykes, the newly married couple from Scotland, they and I are creating these online mediumship demonstrations. So it's as easy as going to a website, you'll be included into a live chat room via Zoom, it's called, and they will be doing mediumship readings on the people that are in the the Zoom room. There's a small cost to it, $25, but it lasts about an hour and a half, and you get a copy of the recording after it's done. We've done two of them so far, and you can find out more at wedontdieradio.com. I figure this is an easy way for people to get medium readings and really get some evidence about the afterlife being real, what you witness in those rooms. And last, for 2020, we're creating some more We Don't Die events. Last year, 2019, we had We Don't Die Boston and We Don't Die Orlando. And just to give you a heads up, we are looking at venues for Seattle in June, Orlando in August, the Phoenix area in September, and even end of October, beginning of November, like a celebration We Don't Die cruise with some of our favorite guests. So that's what's on the horizon. If you are not on the mailing list, I recommend you go to wedontdieradio.com. There's a little pop-up that says join Sandra's Insiders Club, and that's the mailing list. And just to be sure to know, I'll send you what's happening, when everything gets sorted out, and then everything will also be on the website. Okay, I've done enough talking. Now we're going to meet our fabulous guest. Today on the show, we have Dr. Anne Charlotte Valentine, also known as Dr. Lati. She's a physician, an author, an evidential medium, spiritual educator, and a speaker. She has experienced two near-death experiences, which led her to start medical school at the age of 54. She's the author of the book, Med School After Menopause, The Journey of My Soul. Dr. Lati teaches workshops in spiritual development, expanding consciousness, spiritual embodiment, as well as psychic and mediumship development. She lives in Phoenix, Arizona, where she operates Center for Integrative Medicine, as well as her spiritual center, Divine Spiritual Essence. You can find out more about her at drlati.com. Dr. Lati, a warm welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show, Sandra. Oh, thrilled, thrilled. (laughs) You're a woman that's done so much, and I'm so inspired by who you are and even what you're taking on now in life. Uh, yeah, would you like to share a little bit about yourself? Um, I just said we're going to do an event in Phoenix, and I thought, ooh, that might be a nice connection. <laughs> right. But tell us about you. Right. Yeah, I've had I've had a, a, a very turbulent kind of life. I came into the world and had a very 
easy childhood. I was the fourth child. I had three older brothers and my father was a physician. My mom worked in the hospital as a hospital floor administrator. And being the fourth child, you know, life was pretty easy. I had no beliefs in God, Jesus, religion. I was a complete atheist. I thought that when you die, everything just goes black and that's it. So after I had my third child, I was about 33, 34 years old. I just turned 34. And I hemorrhaged after death, which means that you start bleeding out. And they did all, you know, that they did all the right things to help stop that bleeding. But what that eventually led to, I kept bleeding, going back to the ER. They kept sending me home and I bled again. They saw a doctor. They kept sending me home. And on the fifth time I hemorrhaged, uh, luckily, I was in the emergency room. And that is when I had my first near-death experience, which, of course, changed my life forever because I realized that you know, I started leaving my body and I was still there. I was still me. How could I be outside my body and still be me? This is not supposed to happen because my belief system was that when you die, everything just goes black and that's it. So it really threw me for a loop. Could you describe it a little bit more as to what it was like for you? There's many people, including myself, that are always fascinated in the world of NDEs and I'm sure right. you obviously you're going through something painful physically but but what was it like yeah so I'm I'm bleeding out I, I had blood clots that were the size of a baby's head and I had this had been happening for three days now plus I had hemorrhaged after I gave birth so I was becoming very anemic at this point and when I was on the table in the ER um there was a nurse that opened the door to just randomly check on me. I was lying on this table and I started bleeding again. And I thought to myself, great, I'm finally starting to bleed. They're going to figure out something is actually wrong with me. And I can hear the call going through the loudspeaker in the hospital, you know, a gynecologist to the ER stat, you know, you hear that call and you're lying there. And then this 50 year old something man comes jogging in. And I'm thinking to myself, thank gosh, because now he's going to figure it out because most of the physicians that had seen me were young and probably resident physicians. And so he started to examine me. And as he and the younger physician examined me, another large blood clot came out. And it was at this point that I knew something was very, very wrong. And I tried to sit up and tell the doctor, I said, I'm not feeling good. And he just pushed me back down onto the table and the room just filled with people. And as I'm lying on the table, they start tipping it backwards to lower my head. So, you know, to me, it felt like I was kind of upside down. But they're trying to move the blood back to your vital organs so that you're keeping blood in your brain and your heart. And then while I'm lying there, I can feel them trying to, to put an IV in my left arm and there was a nurse on my left that was trying to get the IV in. And then there was a nurse on my right that was quoting my blood pressure. And I'm feeling like I'm just falling, like you're jumped out of an airplane, kind of like a free fall feeling. And that can, I can only relate that back to now thinking that's probably about was my blood pressure dropping in the beginning. And as I'm lying there and they keep tipping the bed back, the nurse on my right yells out, 
50 over 15 hurry. And that was my blood pressure. And that's actually below what supports a heartbeat. And then the nurse on my left still trying to get the IV in. And it's shortly after this that I realize that I'm dying. And the realization that you're dying is very different from thinking that you're going to die or being in a car accident or you're almost getting run over or chased by a bear and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is, this is it, I'm gonna die. But when I was dying, it was a complete realization of the fact that I was dying. So here I am lying on this table with people working on me, trying to save my life, and what do I do? The atheist that I was at the time, I pray to God to save my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm lying there and I'm like, I have three children under the age of sex. I had a six-year-old, a three-and-a-half-year-old, and a newborn. I can't die. The children need me. They need a mother. And it was shortly after this that I started to leave my body. And I could just feel like I was floating out of my body. And it was as if I was hovering a few feet above my my own body. But there was also a feeling of being attached to my body. It was as if I knew that I belonged Like I lived in that body, kind of like imagine living in a car for the rest of your life, like that's your home. Mm -hmm. It was as if my soul knew or my spirit knew that I belonged in that body. And when I was on the other side, I was just in the ER and I, I, I didn't see the light until my second NDE. But when I was in this state, it was, I had complete knowledge. It was as if I could access all information, past, present, and future, all at the same time. There was no time on the other side. And as I'm hovering above my body, they get the IV finally to come in because when you're in that state, your veins start to collapse. And so that's why it was so hard for them to get the IV in. And as they get the IV in, I get sucked back into the body. And it was the feeling, if anybody has seen the movie Santa Claus, the original Santa Claus with Tim Allen, mm-hmm. when he goes, when he delivers presents to, and he goes through the chimney and he sort of gets sucked down the chimney. Right. And that is always the feeling that it comes to, because it was like a giant vacuum cleaner. It was this enormous force that just sucked me back into my body. And within a split second, like faster than anything I can even imagine because it's so instantaneous that that you get out of the body and that you get back into the body that it is my little earthly brain can't comprehend that speed that things happen at and then I was sucked back into my body and I was just you know back in there and it was you know it just threw me for a loop because how could you be outside your body and still be you when your body is down there, I did not believe in any of this. So oh, it took makes me it took the me, best messenger for this, <laughs> right? So it's kind of it, it explains why my life has become what it is. So it took me a long time to come to terms with it, and I didn't dare telling anyone. I told you know just a few people, like my husband, my mother-in-law, my best friend. And my mother-in-law said, you know, you had something that's called a near-death experience. And she gave me, I think it was a Life After Life um, book, that you know, the, one of the first books that came out, because this happened in 1992, so there weren't as many books on the market. And I was afraid of telling the nurse in the hospital, asked me if I had had any, you know, different kind of feelings or, or had... You know, when when they were saving my life and I was so afraid of telling her anything because I figured they're going to think I have a mental, you know, disorder of some sort. 
because that's was my own belief that people who thought that they could be outside their body, I would just say those people are crazy. Right. right? And that, cause I came from that. I was a complete atheist. So then it was a long period of time. I was really, I got really sick. Um, it took, I was, I was asleep basically for three months after this. Uh, and I was really sick. And then 69 months later, I started getting something called bone marrow suppression. And that is when your body is not making enough, you know, red blood cells, white blood cells or platelets, and you become very anemic. And I was covered in bruises and I had this huge bruise that spanned my entire hip. And I had bumped into the baby's changing table and it's something that would give you a bruise about the size of a dime, but it was a bruise that was probably four by eight inches. It spanned my entire hip and I kept getting sick. I kept getting pneumonia. So I knew something wasn't right. And then, um, I went to the doctor that was in May. My daughter was now 11 months and he saw the bruise on my body. And of course, you know, said, Oh my gosh, this is, does something is really wrong with you. And I said, I know something is really wrong, <laughs> I understand, but I'm actually getting better. It was a very strange thing because I had been so sick after my near-death experience. I said, I actually put the children in the car and drove myself here, something I couldn't have done six months ago. And then I had, so I was really, really sick. I walked the fine line um, for like five years and I would just get, you know, bruises. I get pneumonia every six months and I had a stool in my kitchen for five years because I couldn't stand up long enough to cook a dinner for my children. I was, I, it was, it, it was a struggle, but it was because of these experiences that everything happened, you know, in my life later on. So as I'm going through this and I'm pr- trying to process my near death experience of how can you still be there? I'm also having a lot of, so I'm sick and I'm having a lot of electrical interference and I didn't know anything about the, the after effects that, now are very well known. If you go to IANS, uh, you know, International Association of Near Death Studies, IANS.org online, there's been, you know, thousands of cases that they've documented and they have research now that shows the different after effects that people experience that are very typical. And one of them is electrical interference. And what's meant about that is that some people will blow up light bulbs, you know, and things like that. For me, it was the watches kept stopping. And that's a very common phenomenon. And I wore my watch for five days, it stopped. And this is when my daughter is about nine months. And I finally had the strength that I could, you know, park right outside a store and go inside to like a Target, which is popular here on the West Coast, Mm -hmm. which is like a Caldors on the East Coast, and go to the watch department, pick out a watch, pay for it and leave without, you know, feeling like I was going to pass out. And after five days, the watch stopped. So I brought it back and I said, I don't know what's wrong with this, but it stopped. And they said, well, well, that's unusual. None of our other watches have come back, but go ahead and pick a new one. So I picked a new one and after five days, it stopped. So then I said, wow, this is really weird. Something wrong with the quality control department or the manufacturing of this watch being scientific, right? right? So not thinking anything of what <laughs> spirituality and the experience that I had had could have possibly caused this to happen. So I bring the watch back again and she says, wow, this is very unusual, but go ahead and pick another watch. And I said, well, I'll pick a different brand this time. So make sure maybe they have problems with this particular watch. Mm-hmm. So I picked a different watch. I wear it for five days and it stops. So then I told one of my best friends who I trusted because it's very hard to communicate these experiences 
when my own belief was that everybody's going to look at me and say I'm crazy. Yes. So I told her and she kind of looked at me and laughed and she said, honey, it's not the watch, it's you. (laughs) So it was the first time I finally came to the realization that, wow, I'm causing this. And then there was this things, you know, a lot of things that happened. The VCR wouldn't turn on. I tried to turn the VCR on for my kids to watch a movie, but I couldn't do it. I had to stand in the doorway and instruct my six-year-old which button to push because if I came close, it just wouldn't work. And then all these watches dying, you know, the first year, it took me a year uh, to have a watch tick one month. After two years, it ticked about two months. After three years, my watch ticked about three months. So when my daughter was three, I had 16, 17 watches in my drawer because sometimes <laughs> they would start ticking again and I could wear it a couple of days, but then it would stop again and, and I would get all my watches would have a second hand. So I would know if it was working or not because it was the only way I could tell because if it just stops, I wouldn't know if I was telling the right time. And I had, I would walk by the television and it was my right around my daughter's first birthday and it turned on. And I said, well, it must be my six-year-old. He has the clicker. And I looked, no, he was outside playing with his brother and the neighbor kids. So I said, well, it could be one of the neighbors might have the same TV as I do. And then I went to ring eight neighbor's doorbells to see if they had the same TV or if they were watching TV and they pushed a clicker and somehow the signal would have gone through my living room window and hit my TV and turned it on. (laughs) Nobody was home. Nobody was watching TV. I walk back in, I walk by the television, it turns back on. That's crazy. You it's are one crazy. powerful woman. <laughs> I know we're made up of energy, but I I, I have not heard this part of the after effects. So this yeah, is it, wild. It is really wild. And it, for me, it was, you know, I was scared when I had that television turned on the second time. I said, oh my gosh, like, how can this happen? Mm-hmm. How could this be me? And I thought for a while, maybe it's a, a spirit in the room. Maybe my grandmother, she was always joking with me. But, you know, after a while, I, be, you know, I got used to this. And as the boys grew up and they got a Nintendo for Christmas, they were petrified I was going to ruin it. So every time I walked towards the room, they would say, hi, the Nintendo mom's coming. Funny. So it, it was just, it became a joke in the family, but it took uh, 12 years for my watch to take 12 months. And at that point I said, okay, this is it. I'm healed. But so it's when this, during this time, I'm having all this electrical interference. I'm really sick. I've had people tell me um, that are mediums that read me and said, what happened to you at this age? Because it is as if you functioned a 20% life force. And I said, well, that's exactly what it felt like, because I was always struggling after this first near-death experience to keep my spirit inside the body. And I can't quite explain it, except that it was as if I was two. You know how we go through life and we're just, we identify with our body as ourselves. Mm -hmm. So the way I feel today, right, because now I'm here, it took 12 years to get over this. I became, it is my soul merged back into the body. But during this time, my soul was separate and there was two parts of me. It was my physical body and my soul body. And they weren't quite merged together. So if you think when you lay a puzzle and you're putting all these pieces in, but one piece is sticking up slightly in the puzzle and you kind of have to pad it to make it sink in and be flat with the rest of the puzzle pieces, it was, it felt like that. So my soul wasn't merged all the way, just like the puzzle piece wouldn't be merged with the rest of the puzzle, creating a flat surface. The soul was separate. And during this time when I was this sick, it felt like my soul was always leaving. And I always felt like 
I would be putting, you know, helping my kids with their jackets or something. And I would be, you know, praying to the spirit world saying, I can't leave. I can't leave. I have to stay in my body. And this, this force that I was always feeling like I was pulling my soul back into my body. It's the only, it's really the only way I can explain it. And it is during this time that I had my second near death experience. So this is just my life. This happens several times a day. I'm just constantly on the edge of sort of feeling like I'm going to pass out and leave my body. Mm -hmm. But I was also very, very sick, right? At the same time. So I had very little blood in my body. You know, I was getting sick all the time. I didn't have any good immune system and I was very anemic all the time. So that in itself is going to create that feeling. But then on top of it, it was like a separation, like my soul wasn't, wasn't all there, wasn't all merged with my body. So my second NDE happened in the middle of the night. So at night, for the first year, I could not keep my head on a pillow because every time I put my head on a pillow, it was too high up and my head would just pound because it was too little blood in my body. And so this is now, we are just, um, you know, in the, like two, two to three years later, this is happening and I'm really sick and I'm lying in bed at night and all of a sudden, you know, this happened to me many nights. I would wake up or, you know, feel very faint and I would take my head off the pillow so that it would be, I'd be flat on the bed. And then I would try to hold my soul back into my body. And this was just a common existence for me at this point. But this night, I couldn't hold it back anymore. And it, I just popped out of my body just like I did in the ER. But this time, it was different because it was I, I was traveling through this darkness. Now, a lot of people talk about going through a tunnel and seeing the light at the other end. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like that for me. It was I just traveled through this darkness. And I get to this place, which I call the mid-station, because... Somehow I was aware that there were levels above me and there were levels below me. But so I call it the mid station, just like when you go skiing, you don't, if you go to the top of the mountain or you go to the station in the middle of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And as I arrive at this station, I hear the most beautiful music you could ever imagine. More beautiful than any music. And I'm very musical. I played instrument, I played the guitar, I played the piano, I, I did voice lessons as a child and musical theater and all those kinds of things. And this music was different because the only way I could describe it for, you know, for the person now that was an atheist was that it was angelic, right? It was the, the most beautiful, uh, you know, harpsichord, bells. There is no, there is nothing on earth that sort of sounds like the music I heard. Yeah. So I look around and what do I see? And it's interesting to me what you see now that I've heard so many other stories. I saw two, two log cabins, little log cabins. And I always feel like what we're shown is what we are meant to be to see when we get to that stage. It's something that we can resonate with or something the messages that we get is something that is important for our life development right. because people have such different experiences, what they see and who they meet. Yes. And unique experiences for each right? one of us. Yes. I so, it, so I opened the door to this log cabin to my right and I'm thinking the music must be coming from this log cabin. I look inside and there's nothing there. So then I look to my left, there's another log cabin. So I open the door on that log cabin and nothing is inside. So I look around and I say, where is this coming from? But then I become aware 
of this very bright white light that is behind me and the music is coming from behind me. I don't have a body, right? Because I'm just in soul spirit form, but I turn around and I, and I see, and I'm standing in the light. And this is the light that it is so magnificent. Again, it is, it is, it is nothing that you can experience on earth. Um, the most beautiful pictures you you know sometimes see on the internet that you're looking into the sun, this very, very bright light. It's like that, but even more magnificent. It is, you know that you are standing in in I for a better word, because I'm not religious and and I don't associate with any religion, mm-hmm. but it is as if you're standing in the God's light. You know that you come from this light, you are touching God's source or or source of all that is. Because the light is so magnificent and it's just pure love that emanates from this light. But from this light, the, all the music was coming from or through this light. But when I looked at the light, it was an outline of angels within the light. I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in angels. But this is what I'm seeing. And then I'm aware. So as I'm standing in this light and it's, the most magnificent feeling of of love and you would you could stay in this light forever because it's it is just so incredible but then i become aware of a spirit guide i don't see him but i can hear him communicate he or she or it and he's talking he's communicating um with another spirit guide and he says what is she doing here she can't be here she has to go back and i say wait a second <laughs> How can this be? Because now it's the second time I'm out of my body. And I have almost tried to discount the first ND as if that was something crazy. It must have been something that happened in my brain. I don't right. understand how this can happen. Right. And so here is my second experience with understanding, you know, being in the light, hearing the music. And then the the, the guide he's communicating with, you know, says, I say, wait a second. How can this be? How does this work? And the guide said, if I told you, you wouldn't remember. And now, you know, I've heard other stories, but this was back in 1994 now. And it is as if they can sort of control what we can remember. And this is what I've learned from listening to other people's stories. But I was told you, if I told you, you're not going to remember, but you will remember this. And then it is almost like a movie screen up here. It is just images just appear in in front of you but it was as if i was standing on the moon and i was looking down on earth but around the earth it looked like a silvery glittery fishnet and i say that because i grew up in sweden in scandinavia that has you know outside stockholm is 24000 islands and every summer i lived on an island with no electricity or running water and I would help my grandmother lay the nets in the ocean to catch fish so that we would eat. And when my grandmother lifted the net out of the ocean early in the morning when the sun's rising, there's, when the sun shines on the fish net, it's sort of the, the water droplets sort of glitter. And so that was my association when he, sh- when he showed me the, this fish net looking thing around the earth, which now I know they refer to as the grid. But back then, this was the only association I had. And he said, everything on earth is connected up to this grid, but everything on earth is connected to each other. And that is the message 
that I got. And then I was sent back down into my body in the same slam dunk. I'm just sucked back in within this, it, the travel in and out of the body is so fast that I can't even comprehend it today because it's kind of this instantaneous travel. It's like one second you're here and one second you're there. But this now I've learned that this silvery, glittery um, fishnet that I call it around the earth is called the grid. And I actually didn't learn about this until I was in medical school. This was in 2015. This is only about three years ago. And it was the first time I shared this, the true story of my near-death experience with my daughter, who at the time was 24. She's my youngest. She's now 27. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she said, Mom, what you're talking about is the grid. You can see pictures of it now on the Internet. I, I almost fell out of my chair because, you know, during my own journey of this, you know, which was through the the 1990s and the early 2000s, mm -hmm. the internet wasn't that developed. It was very difficult to find any information like this. And I went through the San Francisco Public Library because we live, lived in San Francisco Bay Area at the time. I read so many books trying to figure out what it was I had seen mm -hmm. and what that message actually meant. And it took me a long time to to put all the pieces together. So now that it's been more than a quarter of a century is when I wrote my book and I'm sharing this story and I'm sharing my journey um, because many things came from from this near-death experience, which is why I had to have it, because then I became clairvoyant and clairaudient and clairsentient, and I started hearing the spirit world, and I started seeing things before they happened. Oh, I'd love to hear some about that. <laughs> because <laughs> the, 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 there are different after effects, and I know you mentioned IANS, which is the International Association of Near-Death Studies. Anybody who's interested in near-death experiences, there's, so, there's a wealth of information at IANS. Dot org. So right. thank you for sharing I'm that. I'm actually speaking for them. I'm, I'm uh, speaking in California on Saturday for IONS. Excellent. And if people want to see me, um, you know, talk about my near-death experience and a little bit more in detail, they can go to IONS.org and they can join via their webinar. Oh, that's wonderful. And yeah. people may be listening to this after that happens. So I think the webinars right. are still saved and recorded right. and they can also find out at drlottie.com as well mm -hmm. just because you know there's going to be somebody listening in 2021 <laughs> right exactly exactly but talk to me about what started happening or talk to us um that your clairvoyance and clairaudience and all that started happening because going from an atheist to having these experiences and then i can just imagine all of a sudden you're seeing things in your mind's eye and hearing things and knowing things. And of course the show's called, we don't die. I mean, have there been deceased people that have come through? Would you share a little bit about that part of your journey? Yeah. So, you know, having had this experience being, like you said, being an atheist, it really threw me for a loop. And I was, I read so many books, um, that 12th year from 2003 to 2004, I read about a book a week for a year. I had stacks of books next to my bed. And I was trying to understand what was happening. And it was um, around 2000, year 2000 was about eight years out of my first near-death experience, six years out of my second near-death experience that I really started seeing things and hearing things. And I didn't know how this could be. And so some of the stories that I tell uh, when I speak for IONS, also these stories and more are in my book. Um, is things that are verifiable because we sometimes when we have experiences like this, we think, well, 
is it just my mind playing a trick? Am I yes. having kind of a deja vu, right? And right. so after a while, you know, I talk about this in my book because anybody can become more intuitive. We just have to learn how to do it. And that's why I love teaching classes because people are way more intuitive than they think they are. But what happened was I would start seeing things. And then one morning when I woke up, I had three slides being shown to me. The first slide was a big black scratch on the van door. We had a van at the time. So the passenger side where the kids typically climb in and out of the, of the car, it had a big black scratch going across the entire door. Second slide was I saw two of the children in my car, one in the front seat, one in the back seat. And I knew it was my middle son and my youngest uh, child, who was my daughter. And then the third slide, I see myself leaving a note on a black sedan car on the windshield about this accident. And those are the three slides I'm you know, being shown. So I tell my kids, I said, I think we're going to be in an accident. I know we're going to be okay. None of us are hurt. And I'm leaving a note on this car, a black sedan car, but I don't understand where the driver is. If we're in an accident, where are the people? If if they got hurt and were taken to the hospital, even though we're fine, that would have been, I should have seen like a police, but there were no people around. I just leave this note on the car, but I don't see any people. So I can't understand what, you know, how this is. And then, well, the, the markings is on the door on the right-hand side of the car, so I figure, we figure out, I must be turning left and I must have oncoming traffic in order for this accident to happen. So I, we go through, I driving my kids to the city every day because they're, they're in school in the city. So we, we cross over from the East Bay area, across the Bay Bridge, and then we go into the city. And we figure out there's really only one point where we turn left and we get off the Bay Bridge, we take the exit, we sit at the light and then we jog left onto the surface streets. On that particular intersection, there is oncoming traffic. So every day we get to this intersection, my kids' noses are squeezed up against their windows, looking out saying, mom, the coast is clear. <laughs> so I said, okay, so we turn left and we do this for about 10 days. And we keep waiting, we keep waiting. And you know the kids are anxious because they're like, well, what's going on? They know that I've seen things before. They're familiar with me being clairvoyant at this point right mm -hmm. so then we we go to the little bookstore we live in east bay and we go to the bookstore in walnut creek east bay san francisco and when i come out of the bookstore there's a big truck on my left that's offloading boxes i'm trying to squeeze out to this very narrow little street i'm squeezing right onto the street and there's cars trying to get into the parking lot as i squeeze myself out on the street my car scrapes the car that's parked. Oh, and so my so of course the right hand side of my car scraped the the left corner end of the parked car that's parked on the street. And at this point, I know, right? I know this is it. It's a black sedan car. So I get out of the car and I walk around and I see the scratch on my car, which looks exactly like the slide, and I lose it. I start laughing hysterically, you know, with my arms up to the sky, and people are just looking at me. This woman is crazy. Like she just, you know, had an accident with this parked car and she's just standing there laughing. Mm -hmm. But we were all so relieved that it was over and you know, we weren't hurt. It was just some small material damage. And so here I am leaving the note on the windshield of the black sedan car. And of course, nobody was around because the car was parked. Right. Makes sense. So, right. So this makes sense. So this was my life. It's just more and more um, 
things would come through. And there, I have many other stories um, that we probably won't have time to get through. But so what happened is I would start hearing things. I would start seeing things. Um, I saw, I had a remote viewing once. I saw my children in the car in San Francisco while I'm in the kitchen in East Bay. I'm heading to the stove to prepare dinner. And all of a sudden I see my kids in the car. My son is driving. His girlfriend's in the front seat. My daughter's in the back seat. He makes a U-turn on the Embarcadero, which is down by the ferry building and the water. And he's waiting for the light to change to red. So he's sitting, he's waiting for the yellow so he can whip his car around and go down in the opposite direction. There is a truck that's coming on the other, you know, on the other side, the oncoming traffic. But the, the light is turning yellow, going to red. He thinks, my son, I can see him in the car, thinks that the car, that truck is going to stop. The truck accelerates. So my son starts driving through the intersection, whipping his car around, and the truck continues through on, on the yellow red light and misses my son's car literally by an inch. And I see this even though I'm in my kitchen in East Bay, like, you know, a, a, like a 35-minute drive away, I see this happening and I see their car speeding off and, and that they're safe. I, my heart was racing so fast and I just threw my, op, my arms up in this air saying, thank you, spirit world. Thank you, God. Thank you, whoever you are that's up there for letting my kids get away unharmed. And I just sat on my kitchen counter for 10 minutes to catch my breath. And this was, you know, the kids didn't have cell phones or anything. There was no way of contacting them. Right. And then I waited for them to come home, you know, two or two hours later and I knew they were always really, really hungry because they grew up at the San Francisco Ballet School. So they, they trained literally six days a week. So I knew they were very hungry. So I just let them eat. And then after they finished, my daughter looks at me and she says, Mom, we almost got hit by a truck. And I looked at them and I said, yeah, on the Embarcadero making a U-turn. And their chins <laughs> I bet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and But it was the only time mm -hmm. that I have ever seen, you know, something happening in the distance like that. But I know they've done research on that and they're, you know, mm -hmm. trying to figure out. And I always, when I meet people who are physicists and I always ask them, can you explain how that happens? Like, how could you see something happen, you know, in the distance like that? So, but it's it's fascinating because we are so much more intuitive and we have much greater capabilities than we give ourselves credit for. Absolutely. And you say yeah, remote so viewing. Yeah, right. so very, very real. That, that and this is how it all, it led me to go to medical school because I started hearing the spirit world. And I was in my living room and this is, um, so my daughter was born 1992. So this is 2004. It was exactly 12 years after she was born. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to think, oh, I should go back. You know, I should think about what I want to do when I go back to work. I was a programmer, a systems analyst in my youth. I worked for IBM in New York. And so I was very scientific. So you can understand why I was an atheist and having such a trouble sure. trying to, to come to terms with what was going on with me. But I started here in the spirit world and I'm in my living room. And all of a sudden, I'm aware of a spirit, uh, spirit guide. And he says, you have to become a doctor and you have to combine East and West. Um, you are to give healing and messages to the people and you are to write two books. No, wait, three. And I am communicating back saying, writing what? I, I don't know what to write about. I'm, I'm not a good writer. I never thought of myself as being a writer in the first place. Why would you tell me to write 
two books, no, wait, three. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at naturopathic medicine and I was thinking, I can't go to medical school. This is way too risky. It costs too much money. And, but it was, the message was very clear. And I was enrolled in pre-med classes literally within two weeks. And it wasn't until I went, I started medical school when I was 54. I worked in the biotech industry for a while. I returned to work um, while the kids were teenagers and waited for them to you know, grow up and, and move on so that I could move to Phoenix or that we, my husband and I could move to Phoenix so I could attend medical school. And then going through medical school, um, I met somebody at a conference who said, I have your mother with me. I'm a medium. And she, are you willing to, you know, are you open to receive messages? Mm-hmm. And this is only in 2016. This is only three years ago. And this is so funny to me now. Even though I had had all these crazy experiences, being the scientific type AAA personality that I have, I was skeptical. I looked at her. I had just met her and she had a very important, you know, big, you know, career type of job. She's very intelligent. And I said, well, she's not going to make it up. So I said, sure, just bring it on. And it was very obvious. I had never had a communication like this with a medium in my life. So I had no idea that you could, like a spirit would just come in. This was only three years ago. So evidence after evidence after evidence. And she was telling me things about my childhood in Sweden. She didn't even know where I had grown up. We had just met at this conference, right? She doesn't know anything about me. And she gives me evidence after evidence. And she keeps saying, you know, your mom keeps telling me that you have to go to Arthur Findlay College. And I said, I can't go to Arthur Findlay College. I just graduated. Literally, I had just taken the board exams in August, and this is September 2016. I was still waiting to find out if I had passed my board examination because that we don't you don't find out until like October 1st or something. Wow. It takes them a long time because it's a national test done, done in all different states at the same time because there you know so no cheating can happen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I said, I'm still waiting for my results. I just graduated. I have to now. I got to do my residency, and I can't go to Arthur Findlay College in England and study mediumship. And they were adamant. So guess what happened? Six months later, I was at Arthur Findlay College in England studying mediumship. And that is how now I've been there like five times in in the past two years and how my mediumship developed very, very quickly um, where I, you know, now I'm at the point where I worked the Soul Summit conference in Scottsdale Mm -hmm. in September, um, which was the first big conference that I worked as a medium to help other people, you know, bring in messages for other people. But I, when I received that message in my living room, you were to bring messages and healing to the people. I had no idea what they were talking about. And that actually did not click for me until about a year or a year and a half ago when I was at Arthur Finley College. And they keep talking about the messages. We're bringing messages from spirit. And all of a sudden it clicked to me and said, oh my gosh, that's what they meant. Because when I asked the spirit world, when they gave me the messages in my living room, that I had to go to medical school and, and write two books, no wait three and bring messages. It didn't make any sense. And when I said, what do you mean messages? Write books about what? And the answer was just, we will tell you when the time is right. Don't worry about it. Like just go to medical school. That's your first step. You have to be a doctor. And 
this is how my life was. So I, you know, here I am in medical school. I'm like, hello, spirit world. I'm in medical school. Can you give me the seconds? Can you give me the next step? What is supposed to happen when the time is right? We will give you the next step. And that next step wasn't until I had graduated. And then I rapidly developed into this evidential medium. And now I'm able to bring messages of healing and hope to other people, but also, um, it does affect like how I practice as, as a physician because there, there are times when you're doing things because the spirit world is kind of nudging you saying uh, you should do this x-ray. Even though you can't hear anything while you're listening to this person's lungs, um, something is up and you should do an x-ray anyway. And the spirit world sometimes come in and, and give you these messages, right? So you're, it's interesting because you think of uh, how many times uh, not just me, but I think many other healers and doctors also are quite intuitive. And that's why they become healers or, or physicians, because in, they have this capacity. And, and and we use these intuitive capabilities in our daily life. So I, I, I love to teach other people how to become more intuitive and how they can themselves sometimes connect with the spirit world. Uh, and be just by coming more aware um, to their own surroundings and their own abilities. How do you find time to do it all? I'm just left with this. You do so much. And it really seems, Lottie, that you have been groomed every step of the way. Like you couldn't have just had all of this in one near-death experience and opened up. Like there are little hints, little steps until you're ready, like a foundation was being built. And I, I mean, you're really up to so much. And I, I think you're such an inspiration. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it is. It is true, right? I, I feel that like I was guided through my life because this is my life. But you know, the truth is, we all have paths. We all we and we are all on our own path. And I talk about this in my book because my book is really about helping other people find that trust within themselves, um, finding out how intuitive they really are if they just listen because everybody we all are we're all connected we're all one it's just one big consciousness right and we feed off each other it's just like when you um go into a room full of people that are mad you know they're mad just by taking one step into that room because you feel the energy it's the same thing when you teach people to move from the mind to the heart and listen to the heart what does your heart tell you you know, ask your heart, is, is this the right decision? You know, the heart always, the heart always know what is right. And we, um, and train and resonate with other creatures, whether, whether they have a heart or not, we resonate and train with other people because we are, we have electromagnetic fields in our body, right? We have electricity. That's how we do an EKG. That's how we do different scans. Mm -hmm. We, we measure the electricity and the waves of electricity. So when we heal ourselves and we heal our own heart, we also heal those that come in contact with us by, by giving ourselves the love that we need. And this is very difficult for people. So um, I often give uh, affirmations to my patients uh, and I also take people through all these things in my book, how when you put your hand on your heart, Look in that mirror in your bathroom in the morning. Put your hand on your heart and tell yourself, I love myself. It is something that is much harder um, than you think for a lot of people. 
Mm-hmm. And my patients sometimes come back and they say, how's it going with your affirmations? And they look at me and they say, it's so hard. Like, how could I, you know, say I love myself? We are so busy in our lives, taking care of everybody else and, and doing the right thing. And we're, you know, we're raised to, you know, not put ourselves first and take care of your, you know, the other people. But it's very important to love yourself and allow yourself um, that healing in your own heart in order to love and give healing to others. Because when you do that and you create that gratitude within yourself, your frequency, your heart is changing and you resonate differently and people will entrain with you differently. Just like when, when you have a healer and he puts his, you know, you put your hands on them and I do healing sessions with people too. It's you create that resonance between the person that's sick and between yourself because you're sending that frequency and they've done studies with that where they actually measure the healing frequency that comes from healers hands. And it's a specific Hertz frequency. And now we actually use this in modern medicine. So if you have like a stress fracture, uh, you know, let's say you were in a skiing accident, you broke your leg, they actually put um, this little um, mechanism, a little pack on your leg where you broke your bone that that emanates a certain frequency that helps heal the bone faster. It's the, it's, I believe it's the same healing frequency that comes off healer's hands. So it's very interesting to see how the old and the new is sort of merging, right? Because we have these capacities within ourselves because we are amazing beings that, you know, creatures that live here on earth that are much more divine uh, and interconnected with everything that is then we then we give credit for because most people are probably like me they come you know they're scientific and they want proof right you know i would say prove it to me prove it to me that you're talking to my mom what can you tell that you could not have googled or guessed mm-hmm. right about me give me something specific that shows that you're talking to my mom but going to arthur findlay and becoming an evidential medium you know now I do this for other people. I say, you know, you're, you have your grandfather with me. He lived on an Air Force base. He is wearing a suit. He met your grandmother at the Air Force base, but your grandmother didn't live on the Air Force base. She came in on a bus to attend a dance, but that's how she met your grandfather. Is that correct? Right? <laughs> that's so specific. Right? So there's sometimes very, very specific. And some of these readings you just remember because they're so, so detailed and you can still see them. Uh, and it's very interesting because... It proves because this evidential mediumship proves that you exist after you die. Mm -hmm. It is you are just changing the state of your existence. The the truth is that heaven is literally right next to us. Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it, because when you jump out of your body, you you're still there. But now you exist in a different state and you're not you're not bothered by your crazy ego that tells you and drives you to do all the crazy things that people do in life. And we're all stuck with our egos and our bodies and our life. And we do things that are right. And we do things that are wrong. And that's just our life experience, right? Mm -hmm. Everything has a yin and yang. Everything has an opposite. And we have to, we have to experience um, different things in the dualistic world that we live in, in order to have our soul and to, you know, develop our soul and grow on our journey. So really it is great words, Dr. Lati. I'm thinking you were at the Soul Summit, and I know there was a fellow there from Heart Math Institute. 
And he, I interviewed him on my show and just talking about how through love and through gratitude, it could actually measure our frequency. And I, I don't know all the words with the hertz and all that stuff, but right. how it all emanates from us. And then also yeah. I remember studying with the medium uh, and the only piece of advice and training she gave us to do a medium reading was look at the person across from you and love them and then tell them whatever comes up into your mind or your hearing or anything like that. So through the power of love, suddenly it was like popcorn popping with these details. Right. And love Absolutely. is powerful. Yeah. Love is so important. Um, I look at the light, you know, the light, I stood in that light. The light is really just, it's, it's love. We are, we are loved, right? We, we come from this light that is love. And it's just all, we have to learn to feel, you know, gratitude in our heart and love ourselves in order to love other people. It is all about, it's all about love in the end. Yeah, it sure is. I, I'd like, time goes by really quick if you haven't noticed, but would you talk a little bit about your Center for Integrative Medicine and also your Divine Spiritual Essence Spiritual yeah. Center? Because you're still practicing as a physician, I would think. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And a medium. So I sort of split between the two, mm -hmm. right? So I work as a physician two and a half days a week. And then the other two and a half days a week, I do other things, um, do reading, you know, evidential readings, psychic readings, uh, teach workshops, you know, and then also develop different kinds of workshops. So I have, uh, one workshop coming up, uh, in not this Saturday, but next Saturday, the 15th here in Phoenix. And that is a psychic development. It's a one day workshop. And that I like when people take the psychic development workshop before they take the medium ship mm -hmm. workshop, but they don't have, they don't have to have many times I have people just come straight into the mediumship, but sometimes it's good to do the psychic uh, workshop first because you learn to read other people and people, I love how people always do so well and they don't know anything about, you know, how to read somebody else and the different exercises you sort of feel like you're just playing all day because you do these different exercises that makes you aware of your different intuitive capabilities and what you can use to, to read a person that's sitting across from you. And you just, like you said, it's, you trust you. Sometimes people hear things, sometimes they see things or they, you know, depending on how they, they learn to pick different things up. And then in uh, March 7th, I'm teaching uh, mediumship. And that's when we learn how to connect with spirit guides and um, the spirit world itself. And that's also just, it's a technique. And the first time I went to Arthur Findlay, um, and I was still a skeptic, right? This was in uh, the spring of 2017. And I'm sitting, you know, across from somebody that's from somewhere in the world. I have no idea because you're about 12 or 14 people in the class. People come from all over the world. I couldn't even guess, right? Because... They could come from South Africa or Australia or Switzerland. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. And it was very interesting, even though it was my first time and how much information I was able to get from the spirit world. Um, and people do, you know, people do really well, um, where even though they think they can't do it. And that, that's what I, I just love it because people are way more intuitive and spiritual than they think they are. They just just like me, even though I had those near-death experiences, 
I didn't know how to bring in a spirit until I trained, until the teachers taught me, this is what you do. Now you do this. Now you do that. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And get, you get help to how do you communicate stronger? Well, he's showing me he's educated. And the teacher says, how do you know? And I said, because they always show me books. I see books. And then I know I see a library. And then I know how that they were educated. So, but then, you know, there's different tricks that they teach you. So you see books and then the teacher says, pull the books closer to you. What's the title of book? Can you read the title? Yes, right. right. And so, but these are things that when you're learning, you don't quite know how to approach mm-hmm. it or how do I bring in a spirit? So I do that. Um, I do readings online as well. I do Skype readings um, for evidential readings and um, psychic readings. And then I work in my clinic two and a half days a week, which is the Center for Integrative Medicine. I do, I'm a family practitioner and I'm a naturopathic physician, which means we are not yet part of the insurance system. So it's, um, people see me outside the insurance system, but it's amazing because we typically get, or I typically get people who have seen many different doctors and they haven't been able to solve the problem because our medical, even though my own father was a physician, though he was a physician in Europe, my brother is a surgeon. I, so I have, I was always around doctors growing up and that what we have created in our society, I look at it like the McDonald's approach. Like you go to the doctor, you see him for, you know, two minutes and then you're out of there. There's how could you solve a complicated person's complicated problem? They had, they're on five different medications. They have five different, you know, things going on what's causing what and what is the side effect now from the medication versus you know what it what the problem is so it's it's in in, you have to untangle all of that but being a family practitioner you know i see everything pretty much from a to z um i do a lot of i have postgraduate education in bioidentical hormones so i work a lot with uh, women in menopause or menstrual problems um because i have that uh, specific education and then I also work a lot with thyroid, digestive problems, which are rampant in our society, uh, sometimes get referred from the gastroenterologist because there's nothing wrong, you know, with their with their colon or with their digestion. There's no physical problems, but they're still having digestive issues and they can't digest or they're having diarrhea or whatever their problem is. And so I get a lot of that. Um, so thyroid, digestion, and uh, hormonal problems, female problems, autoimmune disorders, chronic disorders, uh, arthritis, you name it. It's, you know, migraine headaches. It could be anything. But um, it is very interesting now that I have education in bioidentical hormones to learn about the difference of the hormones because people are confused all the time. And sometimes even research right. articles are confused, which is interesting. Doctors themselves are often confused. I often get, I have so many patients that come in, uh, they're on hormones. And I ask them, when was the last time they tested you? Oh, nobody's tested me. How long have you been on the hormones? Like four or five years. And I look at the dose and I already know that they're way over medicated. They're now they're being filling up with estrogen. The estrogen is converting or they're filling up with testosterone. Now they're, you know, changing that because you're body has all these different pathways and it, it'll convert things as it seems, you know, it needs to. Right. So you can have high testosterone and, but because you have too much testosterone, now you have too much estrogen because your body said, Oh, I have too much testosterone. So I'm going to convert it to some estrogen. So even, you know, giving men testosterone, you have to be careful because some of them will convert it to estrogen and then they'll start growing breasts and they wonder what's happening. Oh my! So, right. So it's, but people are, there's, um, it's a kind of a little bit of a disconnect 
mm-hmm. uh, from the old, the doctors that went to medical school 20, 30 years ago versus those of us that graduated recently and have this um, education in bioidentical hormones, which is very different from the hormones you get at a, like a CVS or a, a, like a regular pharmacy. And they actually work differently in the body. But you have to really understand the difference when you deal with those concepts, because many times the doctors themselves are confused about what it is. So progesterone is a natural bioidentical hormone. Progestin is a synthetic and they work very differently in the body. So but even doctors themselves sometimes confuse the two and they'll say, oh, no, it's progesterone. But it's not the patient's getting progestin, which is synthetic. So you are so passionate about what you do. I <laughs> applaud you. Uh, Dr. Lati, have you found that your intuition kicks in when you see a patient for something physical? Absolutely. Yeah, it does. So. I've had, I've had, um, you know, cases I talked about a little bit before, you know, this bird guy comes in and says, do that chest x-ray, mm-hmm. even though there is no reason really to do it because the lungs are completely clear. And then something actually does show up anyway. So there are times when I think that when you hear things or see, you're not going to get that with every patient, you're only going to get it when you're supposed to, because that's just how the spirit world is. It's just, you can't control what spirit is going to come in. Uh, The spirit world decides who's going to come in, right? And give, give that person the message. You might think I want my mom to come in, but you know what? The truth is that you're going to listen way more to your uncle. If your uncle gives you this message, see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So so this is my understanding of, uh, from training uh, in England with, you know, top mediums in the world that we, it's difficult for us to control uh, we can ask for a specific spirit, but it doesn't mean that that spirit will actually come in. And I feel it's the same when you're working as a physician. If I'm meant to get a message, I'm going to get the message. But if I'm not meant to interfere in this person's life, then it's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. So if I'm supposed to find it, I'm going to get I'm going to get a message and I'm going to I'm going to do it. I'm going to listen to it because I'm I know to listen to my messages. They're never wrong. They have not been wrong in 27 years and they're not going to be wrong now. So if I get a message saying, do that ultrasound, do that blood test, do that x-ray, I'm going to do it, whether it's warranted or not, because if that's what they tell me, there's something there. But, you know, sometimes you're not supposed to interfere because this is, this is the life's journey and we're not supposed to change that. This is the path. You know, do, do we come in with a contract or not? And how much, how much is a contract and how much is not a contract? Right. This is the journey of our soul, right. which is the subtitle of your book, Med School After Menopause, The Journey of My Soul. Dr. Lati, in your book, do you give any advice to your readers about life? About? About life, about their soul? Yes. Okay. Every, literally, the whole book is about uh, helping other people find their life. That's you know, beautiful. Right. How did they, um, you know, how did they find their intuition in their own life? It's, it's really an inspirational story about transformation, healing, and spirituality that will help people create peace and happiness in their own mind, heart, and soul. So every chapter has an exercise and a message after it. Why did I tell you the story about my own life? And it's stories, it's funny stories, you know, stories about my NDE, stories about how I became clairvoyant. 
and clairaudient and clairsentient and, and then I became a medium and all these different things happened. The title of the book is Med School After Menopause because it's to entice people to say, wow, my life is not over because I hit menopause. No, your life is starting now. You know, you're just, you just hit menopause. Now, you know, fix your hormones and then move on and have, and, and go through the rest of your life. Because when you think about it, I mean, we, are we all going to be a hundred years old? When you're 50, you haven't barely even lived half your adult life because you're not an adult until you're 21. So deduct that from, from being 50, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're really only 29. I like how you're saying this because I'm 54. Right? Because it's true. Because mm -hmm. we're only in our fifties. Jesus, you're gonna have maybe you have fifty more years to live. Are you are you just gonna go and do the same thing and the same job that you're now so tired of, or are you actually going to change your life? And how do you change your life? And that is a process. And so that is the process that I take the people through in the book by telling different stories of my own life and how changing that lens of how you're viewing your life because we all view our life through a lens right mm -hmm. but if you can change the filter on your lens now you're going to have a different experience so how do you change the filter on your lens well you you read my book and then you go through and the exercises at the end of each chapter are very easy something that takes you five minutes or less but it's also to create um to have people reflect right i want them to reflect on their own life and so they can say what do i like about my life and what don't I like? And how do I change the part that I don't like? That's really what the book is about. Oh, great. It, it, we're approaching the end of our episode. Could you give us just one piece of advice or something you'd like to share before we wrap it up? Because I know you've left me very inspired and interested in, how, you know, it's easy to forget that we're souls having a human experience. And you <laughs> right? definitely brought back the world of the magical to me and that our spirit guides are around us and our loved ones. But was, is there a message you'd like to leave to our listener? Sure. Um, I would say uh, there is a couple of lessons um, from my NDE. One is that we, we come from light. We are light. We return to the light. Light is love. We are loved and we are love. And the best thing you can do is learn to love yourself because once you love yourself, your ch everything changes. And when everything changes, the way you perceive life, you to a certain extent create your own reality based on this filter that you have in your lens on your, on your pretend glasses, because once you change the filter on your lens, you're going to have a different experience. So if you can create gratitude in your heart, instead of being mad. So the person cuts you off in traffic and now you're swearing at this person. How dare you cut me off in traffic? Instead, create gratitude and turn that around and said, oh, thank you. I am so grateful that this man did not cause me to be in an accident. He's having a bad day and he's not driving safe, but I'm very grateful that I'm unharmed and I'm now continuing on my journey. So you can always turn every situ situation around and find the gratitude, right? So once you find the gratitude in your life and you find the love in your heart, everything is going to start changing. And then never forget that life can be taken away in a split second. And it's when you least expect it, all of a sudden you might find yourself in that predicament of, 
you know, now my life is taken away. So always live every day like it's your last. Never push things out. Oh, I'm going to do that next week. Or I'm going to take a vacation when I turn 65. Take that vacation now. You might not be alive when you're 65. You're going to make more money. Things will happen. You're going to have another vacation when you're 65. Just live each day like it is your last. And always remember that everything is connected. We are all connected. Everything is all one. Everything is all divine. And so are you. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Lottie, for being our guest today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Time goes by fast. And for our listener, she's got a very easy website to remember, drlottie.com. It's just D-R-L-O-T-T-E dot com. Easy to remember. And also, you had mentioned earlier, the message you got, when the time is right, we'll get you to the next step. I think for all of us to... Remember, where we're at is perfect. And we're Absolutely. Surrounded by love. And when, it, and when it's time for your next step, mm-hmm. you'll get it. Wow. Well, thank you for being our guest again. And maybe when I'm in Phoenix next, we can meet up. I think that would be great. And I'm really proud of all the work you're doing in so many different ways. Dr. Lati helping people. Yeah, thank you so much. And yes, uh, do let me know when you're going to be in Phoenix. Oh, I definitely. And to our listener, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. It's hard to believe this is episode 331. I mean, that's crazy. Where did the years go? Uh, As a reminder, (laughs) all the past episodes are on YouTube. They're also at wedontdieradio.com. Yes, you can scroll through through 300 of them and (laughs) pick one that you want to listen to. I encourage you to go to iams.org and if you're interested in near-death experiences, they are, I don't want to say the masters, but they have the biggest uh, congregation, I'll say, of of worldwide support and they have support groups all over the world about near-death experiences. It's just wonderful. Uh, As a reminder on wedontdieradio.com, if you join the Insiders Club, yes, that's the mailing list, but it says you can read a few chapters from my book, We Don't Die. It's actually the whole book. I want to empower you to live a great life and give you everything I know about life after death. There's also a very healing audio called How to Survive Grief. And again, we're starting these online monthly mediumship demonstrations. I think if you'd like to join us for one, you'd really enjoy it. They're just spectacular. If you're a Facebook friend, you can go to just type in We Don't Die listeners. And we have a group of over 4,000 wonderful people who this is what we talk about. We talk about life after death. We talk about healing from grief. We talk about being immortal souls and how to live a powerful life. So while we might not have people that we see face to face that buy into this, or they might think we're a little crazy, there is support around the world of people just like you and I. So I hope to meet meet you face-to-face or be reunited with some of you face-to-face at one of the events coming up in the future. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. Remember to love yourself, look in the mirror, take Dr. Lottie's advice, uh, and really be present and search for things that you're interested in in this world. And don't be surprised if 
all of a sudden great ideas come to you. The voices start talking to you in your head in a good way. And you're given the next step on your journey. So thank you for listening. And we'll see you soon. Thank you.